Like Jeff said, we're going to start a four-week sermon series on the short book of Jonah. It's a four-chapter book, uh, probably one of the most uh, known stories of Scripture. I mean, how many of us have heard of Jonah in Sunday school and everything like that when we were kids? And um, even today, we probably still teach it and everything. What's the first thing that comes to mind when we hear the name Jonah usually? Yeah, absolutely. It's a whale. Um, and if you're like me, my mind goes straight to the Monstro from Pinocchio. Um, you know, with Geppetto and Pinocchio having been swallowed by him, able to be able to survive in the cavernous thing that was the inside of that whale um, on their raft or whatever. Um, but there is so much more to the story of Jonah than him being swallowed by a whale or a big fish or however you want to look at it. It's the story of a prophet who was called by God to preach to a nation. Why did he end up in the belly of a fish? What drove this prophet to that point? What happened after that? Uh, there's, these are some of the questions that we're going to look at as we take a look at a closer look at these four chapters in this book. And we're going to be going over one chapter each week, and so I would encourage you to take time over the course of May to read uh, through Jonah. In, you know, it's a short book. It only takes about 20 minutes to read, so uh, read through it a few times if you can. Um, our goal is to really have a firm grasp and understanding of what God would have us learn from this wonderful book. The story begins with a call from Jonah to, or from God to his prophet Jonah. So Jonah chapter 1, verses 1 through 3 say that the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port, and after paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. So Jonah, son of Amittai, is one of the many prophets of the Lord. He is directly mentioned one other time in the Old Testament. It's in the book of Second Kings, and where he prophesies uh, to Jeroboam, who is the king of the northern kingdom of Israel at the time. Second Kings 14.25 says that he was the one who restored the boundaries of Israel from Lamohammoth to the Dead Sea in accordance with the word of the Lord, the God of Israel, spoken through his servant, Jonah, son of Amittai, the prophet from Gath-Hefer. Gath-Hefer was uh, located west of the Sea of Galilee in the land of the tribe of Zebulun. It's about five miles from Nazareth, and as we're going to see in the as we see in the passage of Second Kings, Jonah had spoken on behalf of the Lord before, and so God calls him again, not to go to his own people in Israel, though. Instead, he used to go to this non-Hebrew city, this non-Hebrew nation. This is the only prophet in the Old Testament that we see who is called to go to Gentiles, to non-Jewish people. Nineveh was one of the great cities and the capital of the Assyrian Empire. It was located on the eastern bank of the Tigris River. It's across from modern-day Mosul. And I'll show a map here in a second to help give us a better idea of where all of these places are that we're talking about. Third city that's mentioned in this story is the city port of Joppa, where Jonah chartered this ship, and he was chartering that to the last city that's mentioned, that's Tarshish, which was where Jonah wanted to go and flee toward. And the precise location for Tarshish is unknown, but we, with some context, scholars have concluded it must have been a port city, and 
a major trading location for Phoenician merchant marines. And uh, many people believe that Tarshish is a port city in the southern part of Spain. So here's a map which shows the traditional locations for each of these areas for Nineveh, Joppa, and Tarshish. You can see the distance from Joppa to Nineveh is only about 550 miles, while the distance to Tarshish was over 2,500 miles. About 2,600 miles to drive from Washington, D.C. to Los Angeles. So just to kind of give you an idea of how far that would be. And from here to Atlanta is about 530 miles, so pretty close to that. Um, Give you some perspective. Jonah receives this call from God to go to Nineveh to preach against it. The Lord had had enough of their wickedness. Tim Keller, in his book, Rediscovering Jonah, he describes what Assyrians would do to their enemies after capturing them. And this is kind of awful, so if you need to cover your ears, cover them. Um, But here's how I wrote it. The Assyrians would typically cut off their prisoners' legs and one arm, leaving the other arm in hand so they could shake the victim's hand in mockery as he was dying. They forced friends and family members to parade with the decapitated heads of their loved ones elevated on poles. They pulled out prisoners' tongues and stretched their bodies with ropes so they could be flayed alive and their skins displayed on city walls. They burned adolescents alive. Those who survived the destruction of their cities were fated to endure cruel and violent forms of slavery, and the Assyrians have been called more recently probably a terrorist state. So with that context... Can you imagine if Jonah called you to go preach (laughs) against the capital city of that empire? But that's exactly what he does with Jonah. The text says that God literally tells Jonah to arise and go. And in Hebrew, that means it gives it a sense of urgency when you say arise and go. Go now. And then in verse 3, it says that Jonah arose and went the completely opposite direction. Away from the Lord. He goes to Joppa, he charters his ship, and he tries to get out of Dodge. And that plan seems great. But there's one problem, though. We can't outrun God. So let's keep reading. Verse 4. It says, Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God. And they threw the cargo in the ship, or in the sea, to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. Captain went to him and said, how can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us so that we will not perish. I've tried to run away from God before. When I was in college, as I've mentioned this before, I got so far away from the Lord that in one of my classes, something shook my faith to its core and I completely walked away from it. Just walked away from my faith. I made the move into atheism for a number of years, lived a life with no God. But, just like we see with Jonah, the Lord was relentless in his pursuit of me. Obviously, I think. But Jonah gets on this boat, and he's sailing to Tarshish as he tried to get away from, the, from God and the Assyrians. He went to the place that was known to be one of the farthest that he could go to in the known world. That's when a great wind and a violent storm rose up. Probably similar to this morning if you were up. I was up in my office, and I'm just like, I hope this stays here. (laughs) This storm, though, it was sent by God. Again, literally it says God hurled the storm at this ship. 
The ship got even got personified in this passage because it says that it was threatened or that it threatened to break apart or um, more literally it was determined to break apart. And the sailors were afraid. You ever been in a storm like that? One where it seemingly comes out of nowhere and, and it's very violent. Wasn't a surprise, but one of the times I was uh, flying for a previous job, I was heading home and flying through Dallas and there was a storm um, in the area. I always hated that uh, when there was weather like that, especially when I was going home. Not necessarily because of the storm, just because I didn't really want to be delayed when I was going home. I wanted to get home. Um, but I remember we were taxiing to the runway, and I had the bulkhead seat, the, you know, the one that's right behind the fancy people in first class, which I was in a few times, too, because I flew a lot. But uh, but they're, they're nice seats, got that extra leg room and everything. And I love having the window seat, and I did that day because I love just staring out the window, watching the world go by and everything. It's just fascinating. Um, so as we're pulling up to the runway, I'm looking out, and I can see the storm. Looks like it's right at the end of the runway. So I was like, well, this is going to be interesting. Um, even though I know it wasn't, but I, I knew because I had uh, flown for a while that was going to be a rough takeoff, just really rough. But there was a young lady sitting next to me in the middle seat, and, and she seemed fine until we took off. Um, but then when we took off, we immediately banked to go around the storm, right? And it was bumpy. Like, that was a, it was rough. This poor young woman next to me, she was not having it. Like, she was white-knuckling the, the armrests and everything. And, and she had that grip, and she was, like, kicking her legs, and her eyes were closed. And she was rocked with fear because of that storm. And in my mind, I, I, I just wanted to, like, pat her hand and say, hey, you're going to break that. you got to, like, <laughs> <laughs> loosen your grip up a little bit. <laughs> I'm shy, though, so I didn't do that. <laughs> but she was afraid, right? These sailors, they are so afraid that they're each crying out to their own God. And that, that gives us an indication about these guys, that they were probably an international crew. They were polytheistic, like they worshipped other gods, different gods. Um, but they, they, they weren't just relying completely on their faith either. Like they had practical things that they were doing, too. They, they threw their cargo into the sea to try to lighten the ship. Um, in, in to help in the storm. And, and where was Jonah during all of this? Yeah, he had gone down below deck, and he's fallen asleep into this really deep sleep, apparently without a care in the world. So the captain of the ship goes and wakes Jonah up, asking how he could sleep through all of that, which I would think would be difficult to do, right? You're on a ship that's got to be rocking and... and uh, the big storm, it's got to be loud and everything. But then again, I know people who have slept through a hurricane, so uh, as it's passing over their house. I don't know. But the captain tells Jonah to get up and call on his God. It's the same command, actually, that we got in verse 2 with, with God calling Jonah. Um, arise, and, and this time it says call, where before it's like arise, go, and preach to the Ninevites, but it's the same Hebrew word uh, that's translated as preach. So you can see that like, it's, it's all connected, right? It's very well written. But this, this captain, he's pleading with Jonah to pray to his God because of their shared danger. He's like, well, is, there's somebody asleep. Maybe something's going to happen. Like they're all in the boat together. And then, so if they die, they're going to die if something's not done. 
So the captain's hoping that maybe it's Jonah's God who might be able to save them, which no doubt Jonah knows that's true. Um, but he doesn't yet seem to cry out to the Lord for salvation. Uh, and he's about to be confronted by the other sailors. So let's continue in verse 7. It says, Then the sailors said to each other, Come, let's cast lots to find out who's responsible for this calamity. They cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. So they asked him, Tell us who's responsible for making all this trouble for us. What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What's your country? From what people are you? And he answered, I'm a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. This terrified them, and they asked, what have you done? (laughs) They knew because he was running. They knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them that. (laughs) The sea was getting rougher and rougher, and so they asked him, what should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that it's my fault that this great storm has come upon us or come upon you. I've got an older brother, and I've mentioned this before, but I was the good kid of the two of us. And my parents will confirm that if you go ask them. Um, But I think my brother might even agree with that. Uh, He'll watch this later. But anyway, I I remember there was one time when we were both really young, and we we both got sent to our rooms uh, because something had happened. Because my mom used to make, uh, like, miniatures uh, where you make things out of clay, and they're very, very tiny um, and she had made this E.T. miniature that was about an inch tall or something. And uh, somebody had broken some of those miniatures. And so in order for mom to figure it out, she sent both my brother and I to our rooms. And I sat there a little confused because I'm the good one. And I knew I didn't break them. <laughs> but it didn't matter. You know, we weren't going to be able to come out until one of us confessed. And so I confessed. I didn't break them, but I just was trying to get out of my room. Um, Mom asked, though, if I was telling the truth, because I'm pretty sure my confession was like, I did it. Um, And so she knew that I was not telling the truth. And I was like, no, I'm not. And and I got sent back to my room, and I'm like, wait. (laughs) Eventually, though, John finally confessed and that he broke him, and, and I was able to have my freedom back. Um, these sailors, they're trying to figure out who is to blame for this storm that they're in. So it, it had to have come, aco- uh, come across them like so fast that it could only be God that, that had done it. And so they're each praying to their own gods, and since that's not working, they wanted to see why they were being in, put in so much danger. And so they decided to cast lots. Now, lots are like you have two stones that are painted with a, painted with a dark side and a light side. And, and so if two dark sides landed face up, then the interpretation was no. If a dark side and a light side came up together, then you would throw them again. And if two light sides come up, then that's a yes. And... Uh, can you imagine what it would have felt like, you know, waiting in line to have these lots thrown at you, uh, hoping it wasn't you when it landed on yes? Well, for Jonah, the lot did fall to him, and it's likely God directed that as well. Proverbs 16.33 says the lot is cast in the lap, but every decision comes is from the Lord. 
And so they ask Jonah, basically, okay, who are you? Why is this happening? And Jonah speaks for the very first time in the book. And it says that he answered, I am a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. Jonah's very upfront with them, right? He says, I worship the Lord. He is using the name, the personal name, Yahweh of God. Um, the one who created the sea and the land, which is where they were and where they wanted to be. And they want to know who is responsible for the storm, so Jonah let them know. And the response was fear. They Literally, it says they feared with a great fear. So they were terrified. And Jonah had told them that he was running away from God, who the God who created everything. And apparently, this God was not happy and sent this storm to them. And so the sea continues to get rougher and rougher. And they asked Jonah what they should do to stop this onslaught, this battering of their ship in the sea. And his response in verse 12 is, well, pick me up and throw me into the sea. And it will become calm. Because I know it's my fault that this great storm has come upon me. I think Jonah understood that he wasn't going to get to Tarshish because he wasn't going to get away from the Lord. He knew that if he was thrown off the boat, the storm would relent. And that seems noble, but I think it could also just be a really great way to try and escape God in a fairly easy way, I guess, but escape what God called him to do. You can't go to the Assyrians if you're dead. So Jonah sees a way out. But even then, he's putting, putting his blood on the hands of these poor sailors, telling them that they need to throw him over into the sea. So what happens? Well, we keep reading in verse 13. It says, Instead, the men did their best to row back to land, but they couldn't, for the sea grew even wilder than before. Then they cried out to the Lord, Please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Don't hold us accountable for killing an innocent man, for you, Lord, have done as you pleased. And then they took Jonah and threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. And at this, the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. I read a story of two men who were adrift on a raft in the open sea, and it was looking bad for them. Finally, one of them, who was frightened, he began to pray, O oh Lord, I've broken most of the commandments, I've got some pretty bad habits. You know, I drink, I curse, I steal, I treat people like dirt. But if my life is spared now, I promise you that I'll change, that I'll never again curse, that I... And then he suddenly hears his friend cry out to him, wait, Jack, don't go too far. I think I see a ship. <laughs> a lot of us have been there before, right? Like we're praying to God, Lord, if you just get me out of this, I'll read my Bible, I'll go to church every week, I'll quit doing whatever I'm doing. And these sailors ended up praying their own prayer, but first they tried to row back to land. They tried to do it on their own, in their own power, and, and God didn't let them. As the text said, the, gree, the, the sea grew even wilder than before, and so they prayed. They cried out to the Lord, don't let us die if we throw this man overboard. Don't hold us accountable for killing him. They were afraid of what God might do if they killed his follower, his prophet. They were trying to wash their hands over what they were about to do. And so they picked up Jonah and they chucked him overboard. And then the raging sea grew calm. And then something interesting happened because these sailors greatly feared the Lord. Same kind of fear from earlier, too. They feared that great fear. 
But that would make sense, right? Siri, I don't want to talk to you. Um, you're in this devastating storm at sea where you are fearing for your life and then it just stops. You do the thing that the prophet of the Lord told you to do. What happened to Jonah? Well, this is a story that we know so well. Jonah 1.17 says that now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. And we're going to talk more about that as we get into chapter 2 next week. As we consider this chapter, we can see a few things that we can use to apply uh, what we've read to our lives. And the first is this, is that we've got a command to reach others. We've got the greatest story in history to tell. And we've been commanded to take that story into the world. And even into places where they're not real happy to see us. It's what we call evangelism, taking the story of Jesus to people who don't know him. We're going to see in a couple of weeks that this doesn't have to be complicated either. A lot of times we can struggle with what to say, but we've got to remember that the Holy Spirit is with us. Plus, we use our personal story of how God is working in our lives. It's one of the best testimonies you can have. You're going to find it makes it way easier to share. Ultimately, though, we know that Jesus is the only way for everlasting life with the Father. So why not tell people about that? Romans 10.14 says that how then can they call on the one they've not believed in? How can they believe in the one whom they've not heard? How can they hear without someone preaching to them? So we have a command to reach others. The second thing, though, is you know, we can try to outrun God, but we can't, can't do it. So why even try where are you going to go that God can't find you? Jonah was called to go to the Assyrian capital of Nineveh to preach a judgment against the city, and instead he wanted to go in the completely opposite direction. And he tried to go as far as he could in that opposite direction, and surely he would have known that he couldn't get away from God. Like Jeff read earlier, Psalm 139, 7 through 10, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there, your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. God is everywhere. It's always a good reminder for us. In youth group a few weeks ago, we talked about trying to imagine that Jesus is sitting on the couch right next to you especially when you're wanting to do something that you probably shouldn't be doing because you can't outrun God. Why try? The third thing is that God can still use you when you're not trying to be used by him. Jonah was being sent to non-Israelites to preach a judgment message, and so he goes the other way, hires a ship, and a storm comes on them, and what happens? Jonah ends up telling these non-Israelites about God. And after they see the truth in what he said, they worship the one and true God. These are guys who had all of their own different multitude of gods who weren't able to do anything in that storm. But God still used Jonah to turn their hearts toward him. He wasn't trying to convert them, but he did. God can use you even when you're not trying to be used by him, but how much better would it be 
if we just did what God told us to do. You see, there is, there is one who was absolutely faithful to God's mission, and he didn't waver. He didn't run from his responsibility. Jesus followed God's plan for him to its conclusion on the cross. In the Apostle John's Gospel, Jesus says in John 5, 19, Very truly I tell you, the Son of Man can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his Father doing, because whatever the Father does, the Son also does. Even in the times of deepest sorrow for Jesus, such as when he was praying in the Garden of Gethsemane before his arrest, he still tells the Lord, it's not my will, but your will be done. Jonah ran away from his responsibility as a prophet of God, but Jesus ran toward his responsibility as a savior of all. Because of the faithfulness of Jesus, we are able to cross that gap that separated us from God. So let us let God work in our lives. Let us follow him, follow his call, his direction, running toward it, not away from it. If you've not yet answered that call of Jesus on your life to follow him, then I invite you to do that today. Love to talk with you about it. You can find me in the foyer after the service, or you can even grab one of those Connect cards, and there's a little checkbox on there that says, Interested in Salvation. Just put it in a prayer box, and and I'll be in touch with you. Next week, we're going to follow Jonah into the belly of the fish, and we're going to see what happened to this man who tried to run away, But like we've seen, you can't outrun God. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, Lord, what a story this is. And and we know it's it's true. We know that Jonah was a a man in history. And he didn't always have the the things that... uh, the best things in mind, the things of you, Lord. And, and we see him here trying to run away from you, but we know that you are always with us. I pray that each of us would live our lives in light of that, that we would live as if you are right here with us because you are. Help us to feel that. Help us to see it, Lord. Help us also, though, to answer the call to go and tell others about you. You know, it might be across the world. It also, be, might, uh, also might be across the street. Help us to see the opportunities, Lord. Help us to give us the words. Help us to share our own stories of what you've done in our lives. Because I know that you have worked some amazing work in the lives of the people in this room. Lord, we just thank you so much for your son Jesus because he is that model of faithfulness as he lived his life on this earth and he went to the cross. And so this point in our service where we take the time to remember that sacrifice as well, Lord. And we remember the the bread, which was his body broken for us. We remember the cup, which was the blood that was spilled for us. It is also a cup of a new covenant that we live in today. Father, as we take time to remember this sacrifice, 
We just praise your name, Lord. And it's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen.